He is worthy. Do you know, at this very moment, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that angels are singing this very song, you are worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb of God, the one that has redeemed us, the one that's offered forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, created us. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, sustains the world. And today we say to him, he is worthy. Come on, give him a big hand today. Majestic is our God and worthy of all our praise. You may be seated. Hey, tell your neighbor, you are glad they're here today. And those food trucks look good outside. Hope you'll join us after church. Hey, I'll answer your question this morning. First of all, let me just say, I am super glad you're here. Whether you're in the sanctuary celebrating with us today, whether you're watching online, we welcome you. Uh, all honor and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he's done. But uh, I'll ask you a question. Who likes sports movies? I mean, I think that's my favorite genre of movies is sports movies, preferably the true ones, uh, Rudy. I remember the Rudy story. He's this little kid. He's no athletic ability, but he somehow makes the Notre Dame football team. Uh, uh, remember the Titans? Uh, you know, true story, racial hostility, Virginia in the 70s, and how these men, black and white coaches, black and white, come together. It's an inspiring story. Uh, I think my favorite, though, is The Natural. I don't know if you've seen it. It's an older movie. It's a Robert Redford movie, so that dates it just a little bit. But it's very inspiring. Robert Redford, when he was uh, 18, was just this superstar baseball player. I mean, you take Babe Ruth, you take, uh, you know, you take uh, uh, the greats, Reggie Jackson, and you just kind of roll them all together. And this was Robert Redford. And uh, he was headed off to a tryout for, to be in the pros, a, a pro team in Chicago. But he got distracted by a mistake at 18, and he didn't get in baseball. And then lo and behold, as the movie unfolds, he's 38 years old, and he's looking for a new beginning, so he tries again. And when he tries again, this time he's accepted. Of course, in the movie, he goes on, and he becomes kind of the great player of the, of the, uh, 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 of the team and in the league. Well, that's a movie. But how many know in real life, we all need new beginnings? A new beginning is simply a change, but as I'm sharing it today, it's a change that God is helping us with. It's something in an arena that we on our own seem unable to do, but with God's help, we can. Everybody has something. Maybe it's a marriage that's struggling. You've tried counselors, you've tried different things, but they just can't seem to fix it. You can't make it work and bring joy there. Um, uh, maybe, maybe it's your job. You just seem to go from job to job or you can't get the job you're looking for and it just seems like something needs to happen. I need to be able to find a new beginning. Well, in this message series, uh, I've been trying to help you find this new beginning by making a special connection to God and His Word. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, it's been our text, and I want you to say this with me. It'll be on the screen. Ephesians says that now to Him, God, who is Say it again. God is able. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To God be the glory. Now, how I many know that's a mouthful, but what it's literally saying is God has the power to help me find a new beginning in life. So that's been the premise for the series. Today we're going to talk about three things. We'll talk about a new beginning and how we treat people. How I many know sometimes we treat people right and sometimes not so right? 
uh, we're going to talk about a new beginning at work. Uh, do you realize we spend about 80,000 hours a year, not year, uh, in a lifetime, 80,000 hours <laughs> at our job? It just feels like 80,000 a year. <laughs> but you know, a, a Gallup poll, as I'll share with you, shows that most people hate their work. Well, I believe I've got some things that will help you from a biblical point of view in your job or what you do with your life. And lastly, probably the most important, how I treat my family. Everyone is in this room, number one, want to have a family. Now listen, you may be a widow and your husband may have died, but you, you, you want your kids, your grandkids, the sisters, the brothers, everybody that's there at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We want it to be a loving place. We want it to be a good place. We want it to be healthy. Well, the Bible will help us as we continue this part three, a new beginning. Let's begin uh, a new beginning, how we treat people. If you have your Bible, you might go to Luke chapter 10, but I first want to take a test. Uh, and what I want to have you do, I'm going to have you vote. So get your voting thumb out. Thumbs up means God approves. Good idea. Thumbs down means don't think God likes that. It's a bad idea. So let's start uh, uh, about how we treat people. How about uh, your neighbor's house burns down? You've lived on this same street for several years. You know who they are. You see the kids playing in the yard. Their house burns down, and uh, uh, you take the kids out the next day to buy clothes in town. What would you say? Yeah, definitely thumbs up. How about, uh, how about an employee uh, saves thousands of dollars, and you either own the company or you're the supervisor. They developed a new process. They figured a new supplier, but it saves the country lots of money, uh, and you give them a big bonus. What do you think on that? Is that one thumb up or two thumbs up? I think that's a two thumbs up one. How about this? How about uh, an uncle introduces his 10-year-old nephew to pornography? Yeah, that's not the way to treat people. How about uh, uh, somebody cuts you off in traffic? I mean, they just get right in front of you, and you wave at them with your middle finger. No? I didn't ask if they deserved it now. I'm asking you. And no, no, that's, that, that's, that's not good. In case you didn't know, that is not good, okay? That is not a Christian testimony. Uh, how about if you're a dad that loves to bass fish... And you have, you know, Millwood Lake. I mean, you have got it staked out. You know where all the creeks are. You know where the spawning places are. You have got the lures. But yet, it's your son's tournament that day. And uh, you have to make a big decision. And you choose to forget the bass and go to your son's tournament. What do you think on that one? Yeah. Now, some of these things are very obvious about how we treat people. But oftentimes, this life, it's not so clear. Oftentimes in life, we have emotion that gets in there, a strong emotion that keeps us from acting in a biblical way. But I want to share two things that Jesus said that will help us to get this thing figured out. The first one is what was called the second great commandment. Not Moses' commandment, but Jesus gave the top two, summarized the whole Bible. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second thing we'll talk about is the golden rule. Look uh, with me, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 Jesus is asked a question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how many know there's no more question that's any more important than that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law of Moses or the Old Testament say? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God. Say it with me, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second commandment is to 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're going to explore that. Now, what Je- and then Jesus replied, uh, r- right on, That's, that'll, that'll get you there. But unfortunately, no one does it perfectly. I mean, no, no one loves God completely and fully. No one loves their neighbor completely and fully. I mean, no, that's why we're called sinners, and that's why we need a Savior is what Jesus did. But look at verse 29. The man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I want to suggest to you, as you'll see as this story unfolds, the neighbor is a stranger, but the principles here are, are universal. The principles that we'll read about today apply not only to strangers, they apply to our enemies. They certainly apply to our family members. They apply to co-workers. It's people, because let me know we're all a part of the human race. Uh, politics may divide us based on race and identity and all those things, but you and I are all created, come on, in the image of God. It doesn't matter if we're male or female, black, white, rich, poor, tall, short. How many know God is the creator that makes us one in the family of God or or the human race? But anyway, um, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus illustrated it this way. He said a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He didn't tell us much about the man. We don't know if he was Jew, Samaritan. All we know is he is a human being walking down the road, this 18-mile journey. It's fraught with danger. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, walking through a tough part of town at night and you're walking by yourself. And uh, anyway, this guy was attacked by robbers. They beat him and left him half dead. Picture in your mind this man laying on the side of the road. Blood is coming from his face. Perhaps it's coming from his nose or perhaps it's coming from his ear. You know he's in trouble. He's not moving. And then a priest walked by. Before we read further, you would think the priest knew what God's Word says. You would think that the priest knew the right thing to do of how to treat a fellow human being, but he failed. Uh, He didn't. uh, He saw the man, but he passed by on the other side. And we don't know why he ignored him. Perhaps Jesus deliberately left it open-ended. But he ignored him, and uh, maybe it was because of ceremonial rules. There were Old Testament rules that, uh, that, that gave restrictions. If you touched a dead person, uh, you had to be purified. That could be it. Maybe he was afraid. I mean, the same guys that bonked him on the head could hit, hit, hit me on the head. He's afraid. I mean, no, when we get afraid, there's a lot of things that we fail to do that we should. Uh, maybe it was racial. Maybe it was the same kind of pressure that we feel sometimes in America today. Now, look at verse 33. Uh, after that, the Levite came, did the same, and then a despised Samaritan. Now, Jesus' audience is Jewish, and the Jews were antagonistic towards the Samaritans. Samaritans lived north of the Jerusalem area. They were Jewish half-breeds. Uh, they were left there at the ca- after the captivity, and uh, they intermarried with pagan people, hence they weren't of the pure Jewish race. And there was an animosity. They had their own system of worship and, and other things, and the uh, Jews simply despised Samaritans. Now, this man, he saw the man, and he felt compassion for him. Now, compassion is a, is a wonderful character quality. Not everyone has it, but I'll suggest this to you. When Jesus Christ changes your heart... You, can, you will become a compassionate person. You might have been strong in the, in the, in the racial antagonism, but when you know, Jesus touches your heart, he changes us on the inside. So, but the thing about it, he felt compassion. But let me say this. Feeling compassion for people in need is not enough. He then went to him. He acted. 
He went to the Samaritan, soothed his wounds, and bandaged him. And now a sacrifice. He puts him on his own donkey, which means he had to walk. Uh, however far he had to go, he had to walk. And uh, he took him to the Hilton Inn. <laughs> the only joke I got this morning. Took him to the Hilton Inn where he took care of him. And then Jesus looked at the man and said, Now which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? And Jesus said, The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. mercy. And then he said, Now you go and do the same. Uh, let, me, let me suggest this second commandment is embodied in this, that we care about people. That you and I, you and I show kindness to people, uh, irrespective of their race. They don't have to just be hurting and beat up on the side of the road, just being kind. Uh, when you're driving down Richmond trying to get in Chick-fil-A, how many know it's, uh, they need a stoplight there by Chick-fil-A and, and Starbucks? And, and doesn't it just drive you nuts when somebody moves just 10 feet so they can get 10 feet closer to the red light to block you from turning? Well, how many know we want to be people who share? We're people who kind. We're people who take care of each other. And I promise you, compassionate, caring people are pleasing to God. But you know what else we do? We bridge the racial divide in America. I wish I could speak to America today. I wish I could speak to our politicians and these that act like they care about racism in America. If we would all love one another, come on now, and treat one another as our neighbor, as members of the family of God, how many know this hostility that's out there would be diminished and it would go away? It, 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 it's the truth. Uh, but we don't. It just seems like we foster the racial thing in America. The worldly solutions fail. Biblical solutions work every time they're tried. Let, let me give you the, the golden rule now. Sometimes the, the, the neighbor thing may get a little confusing, but this is very simple. You can teach this to your 5-year-old, to your 10-year-old, and to yourself when you look in the mirror. Jesus called the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. you know it, do to others what you want them to do to you. In other words, whatever you, however you want people to treat you, you treat them the same way. It's a powerful, powerful truth. But what would you want someone to do for you if you were, let's say you're going home, you live in the country, and you stop by the Dollar General, nobody is around, and the person behind you comes out the door and knocks you on the head and takes your purse or takes your billfold. What would you want somebody to do? Next person that comes up, would you want them to just step over you because they're, they're in a hurry? Or would you want them to call 911? Would you want them to call the police? Would you want them to, maybe if you're bleeding, if they, if they slashed you with a knife and it hit an artery, you'd want them to put that, that's exactly what you would want them to do. Well, guess what? That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, how about if you lost your job and couldn't make rent and the savings ran out? I mean, you don't like the idea of begging. You wouldn't stand on the interstate with a sign. Uh, what would you do? You would want somebody to help you. Come on. Well, this is the how we should treat people. You say, well, I don't have much to help. Help with what you can. Pot of spaghetti goes a long ways. Come on, how many know? Vegetable soup goes a long ways. We do what we can for people. How about if I'm raising my children alone, I'm a single dad or I'm a single mom, what would you want someone to do for you? Do the same. Come get them. <laughs> you are the one that got me in trouble last two weeks ago. Where's the policeman when I need him? He's hiding. All right, now see, you did it again. Here's what I can tell you. If you'll practice the golden rule, and if you will live by the second great commandment, how many know not only will God be pleased, but people will return kindness and love to us, and the world will be a better place.
This is not pie in the sky. How many know this works when we treat people with the love of God? Let, let's pray just a second before we go farther. And, and as you close your eyes, I, I particularly want to ask you, is there something that's come to your mind? Because I find that the Bible teaches that sometimes God works in my thought realm. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit reminding me, convicting me. So, Lord, I want to pray for all of us now that we would have a fresh resolve of how we treat people. That we treat them not based on how much wealth they have or don't have, not the color of their skin or anything else. But, Lord, we treat them, Lord, because they're a human being created in the image of God. That we show kindness, that we show mercy, and that, Lord, that you would give us a heart of compassion and that we would treat people the way we want to be treated. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say it? Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at a fun one now. A new beginning at work. Like I said, most of our life is spent at work. And when we're not working, many of us are duck hunting and turkey hunting. I mean, that's number two. Okay. You aren't, and that's probably good, more ducks, turkeys for me. But really, work, 90,000 hours in your lifetime. Work is the most, and the next is sleep. And then after that, we, you know, we do what we do with our family and our friends and our hobbies. Uh, most of what we do is working, yet Gallup said 85% of the workers hate their jobs. 85%. Fully half the... I missed it. Fully half the people... The, uh, uh, there's 100 million full-time employees in America. Half of us feel no connection to our jobs. In other words, we just do the bare minimum. We show up when we have to. We leave when we have to because we're there for a paycheck. Uh, 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 another 16% are what's called actively disengaged. They complain all the time. They resent their job, and they just bring the whole thing down. You know, that's two out of three people that are not happy at work. And I want to suggest to you, likely, there's a few of us today that struggle on our jobs with these issues. And let me, I want to share some things with the Bible because a new beginning could change your outlook on life. I don't know about you, but I have found my calling in life. I know what God has created me to do and called me to do, and there's nothing else in the world that I would rather do. That's a great place to be, and especially if you can get paid for it. So let me help you with a couple things here. Uh, the first one is our outlook on work. Uh, after God created Adam, what did he do? He gave him a job. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And let me say this, work was not punishment. In other words, though when the, after the fall, God did say, you, by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your living. So he, perhaps he didn't sweat before, before the fall. But work was not and is not intended by God to be a punishment upon our lives, a drudgery. So if work is defined by drudgery, uh, something is, is out of sync. Let me, let me give you four biblical purposes. Now, the whole world relates to number one. It's clear. It's this one. Is work is, uh, is how we, we make a living, how we take care of ourselves. Uh, sadly, we live in a nation today that is discouraging work in many ways for, for the government to be able to help us. And let me say this. I am glad I live in a nation that if I am disabled... Or if I do not have food, I am glad I live in a nation that has a social safety net that can help me. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord for that. There are multitudes of countries around the world where people are starving and they don't have a safety net. But the safety net is not supposed to take care of you. Come on now. 
God has given us a responsibility to create, and it's called work. Uh, Paul went so far, 2 Thessalonians 3 says, If anyone is not willing to work, don't let him eat. How many like to eat? Every, yeah, lying in church on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Shame, shame, shame. We all like to eat. It's basically, it's a way of saying that's how you take care of yourselves. Uh, everybody knows that, uh, and that's why people work. They work for a paycheck. But uh, there's another reason that, that is, is really big. Work is intended to be for us like it was for Adam, a source of fulfillment and purpose. Um, <laughs> yesterday, uh, of course, in this harsh winter, uh, a lot of my garden plants died. And uh, I decided I was going to replace some. So Thursday, I, I went to Lowe's, checked out what they had. Uh, I got up Friday, and I went through my wife's purse, got some money. And, uh, nah, just kidding. Um, what did I do, though? Anyway, so I go back to Lowe's, and I fill up my truck with plants. And yesterday, it was kind of hot. And I got out there, and I'm sweating. And my wife looked at me a time or two and said, Honey, don't you think you need to take a break? And uh, anyway, so I, I worked all morning. It was at 12 o'clock, and I was just tired. But since then, I've gone back, and I've looked at what I planted four or five times. And just to look at it and feel a sense of satisfaction. Come on now. A sense of satisfaction at a job well done. And I will enjoy those plants as they grow. Uh, it, it, it's just kind of a part of my life. Well, our jobs can be a part of our life like that. And I would encourage anyone, if you do feel like you're in a dead-end job that absolutely takes all the joy from your life and you don't feel like God has commanded you to be there, I, I would really pray and ask the Lord to give me some place where I can use my gifts. For example, if you're a creative person, you know, you just love to create things and start things. The last place you need to be is on an assembly line where everything has to be done the same way every time. It, it, now, thank God that we're willing to work if that's the only job we can find. But I would really pray and ask the Lord to help me find something that I can do to bring me great fulfillment. Because I can promise you this, you may be making tons of money at your job, but if you hate it, have me know it's still not worth it. Now, these next two that I want to give you are things that the world doesn't know, and oftentimes we as a Christian don't know. But work, uh, let me read Ephesians 4.28. It says, if you're a thief, punch your neighbor and say, hope he's not talking to you. <laughs> if you're a thief, quit stealing. But instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then, what's it say? Give generously to others in need. Now, honest question. Is there anybody that works so you can give to other people? Raise your hand. I'd like to see you because I can't raise my hand. You do? Well, God bless you. I don't know whether to believe you or not on the front row there. <laughs> it's just not natural. It's not a part of our culture because there's just so much gadgets and stuff and everything that's out there. And we're told since a kid to be hedonistic and, you know, the world revolves around us and all that. But, but I want to tell you something that, that, that fine has gotten a place in my heart. Uh, I am, by nature, uh, a little more on the selfish and stingy side. But uh, I used to, remember in our old church building, we had a globe on the right side. And we'd put money in that globe. And then when we got $1,000 or so or 2000 we would give it somewhere around the world to help buy Bibles. And I got to where I was doing a dollar a week, a dollar for every service that I would go in, just a little bit extra. And it, and it created an affinity. And I got to where I was, rather than resenting it, looking forward to it. And then we moved over here. We didn't have the globes, but they put the boxes up uh, out back. And, uh, you know, you can still, still do that. But I got a call 
oh, a couple week, couple about a week ago. I actually initiated it because our Bible fund had grown to about four thousand dollars, and uh, I called a Global Advance. Uh, they they uh, uh, are a ministry that's very involved in the Middle East underground church. I said, "Do you have any Bible needs?" And I got back this this email. It was just like you know, emotion was going everywhere. And this lady was saying, she said, she said, oh, you just don't know the, the needs in Bangladesh. And uh, pretty soon we're going to write a check. We're going to add to that and send thousands of dollars to Bangladesh to people that we'll never meet. And, and, and I'm joyful about doing it. It, it, it. it changed me. Now, I want to suggest something to you. Maybe, maybe you don't have that kind of joy about giving. But if you want your heart to change, Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, the feelings follow the treasure. Dedicate an hour a week of whatever you do, or an hour a month, I don't care. But dedicate some, an hour a week, whatever you make, if it's $15 an hour, and dedicate that one week to Jesus and say, look, I'm going to give Bibles. I'm going to give money for Bibles as I work. And I promise you, it will change your heart about that last hour of work. Let me give you one more thing. Uh, work provides a platform to share the gospel. Uh, Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Did you notice he brought together working hard and serving the Lord? Which simply means this. Work is our platform of ministry. Um, we wanted to do something nice for the uh, contractors that, uh, and all the workers that worked around the building. So we thought, well, we'll invite them to church and uh, have a little... Uh, we had a little reception last week, had some cupcakes. Only problem, none of them came. And uh, I think it was Jason, but he said, uh, he said, they're not coming to church. If you want to reach contractors and, and workers in the construction field, you got to have burgers, ribs, and beer. And bring them out and, they'll, and, and, and they'd come. Uh, well, we hadn't done that. So... What's my point? I can't reach those people in my workplace. They won't come to church, but Jason is working in that environment every day. And you're working with people at Cooper Tire every day. You're working with people in the hospital every day. And they get to see a Jesus person up front. And they get to see you pray. You can offer them prayers. Your work becomes your mission field. I think this has more potential to change the way that we view our jobs than anything else. If you will see, if you, first of all, if you prayed about the job and you feel like God gave it to you, then perhaps he gave it to you not just as a place to make money, but a place to let your light shine as a Christian and populate heaven from Cooper Tire. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah, let me give you just a couple things quickly here uh, that, will, that will foster success and promotion at work. Maybe you're frustrated because you can't get ahead. I want to give you a biblical work ethic, uh, a biblical attitude, and biblical character that I can promise you that whatever you do with your life, I don't care if you clean toilets and bedpans or I don't care if you are in upper management in a company, this will push you higher. Uh, a work ethic, by definition, simply it, it deals with uh, am I a hard worker or a lazy worker? Uh, Proverbs 13 verse 4, it says lazy people want a big screen TV but they can't get it. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it says, isn't it? Those 50-inch TVs, they don't give them away. But those who work hard will prosper. Those who work hard will prosper. Did anyone see the movie The Intern? 
it's, it was a movie. It's a cool movie. It's actually a chick's movie, but uh, Robert De Niro was in it, and he's kind of the gangster, you know, in all his other movies. But this movie, he's 70 years old. He's retired, and he's bored, and he takes a job as an intern at an Internet company in San Francisco. And his boss is about 40, and she's all cool, and he's, you know, he's just this old guy that used to work. So an intern, I mean a little intern, he's just there as a helper. So uh, his, the first job she gave him was to take his, her suit, she spilled some coffee on it to the dry cleaner to get it cleaned. Now, he used to be the vice president of a corporation, and that's what she's got him doing. But listen to the work ethic. It was filtered into his life and what you saw. One day, it's late, and uh, it's 8 o'clock, and he's still there. And somebody says, why hadn't you left yet? Because the boss hadn't left. I won't leave until the boss leaves. And then one day, there's this table that's full of just junk in the middle of the office area. And then one day, he goes in early at 7 o'clock, and he cleans it up. Well, as the story goes, this guy who started out as the intern becomes the advisor, senior advisor, to the president. Not because he was looking to be upwardly mobile. He just had a work ethic. Are you with me today? That, uh, that gave him an opportunity for promotion. Let me give you the second word. It's the word competence. And the question is, do I do my job with excellence or do I do just enough to get by? Because here's what most people do statistically, just enough to get by. But this Bible says in Proverbs 22, do you see people skilled in their work? Now, we go to college, we go through job training, we go through OJT, uh, we take courses all to hone our skills. But, but if you see this person skilled in their work, the verse says they'll work for kings, not ordinary people. In other words, they'll make $100 an hour, not $10 an hour. Or they'll make $500 an hour, not $15 an hour. Even if the government does the guaranteed minimum wage of $15, what will happen is a whole swath of America will be unemployed. But what will happen, that $15 still won't be enough because the corporations are simply going to raise taxes to pay for the extra added expense. So I don't care how much money you make. If you want to break through that deal, you have to have a skill that people want. And that skill, friends, listen, is rooted in character. I saw this. If I, in the, all the people that worked on this building, I won't, I won't call the company, but there was a crew that was working on the building out back, and uh, uh, I could just tell I drove by, and it was four or five of them, and, and three of them were working, two of them were sitting on a bucket, and they were putting some materials uh, on the wall, and uh, it was splattering all over the ground, and the two on the buckets didn't even care to pick it up and clean it up while it could be easily cleaned. They just left it there. Now contrast that. Last week, I don't know if you were here, but last Saturday night we had uh, uh, in the front of the church building that new kind of like pebble stone uh, concrete out there. They put a sealer on it and they colored it, but it was a little bit sticky on Saturday. So when we walked in with pollen on our feet, it, you see feet marks all over it. Well, I get here Sunday morning before 8 o'clock and uh, Jason, who was our, our general contractor. Jason, would you stand up? Jason was our general contractor in, in, in our building. And if you want to say a thank you to somebody, he was a, he was a big one. Well, his project manager was out, on, the senior guy was out on his knees in front of the building Sunday morning at 8 o'clock because he said, I want to make the Lord's house look good. And nobody told him to do it. I didn't tell him to do it. Jason didn't tell him to do it. He just had it in his heart. Are you with me today? This is excellence. And people that work with excellence like that, listen, will get job. you will never have a problem getting a job, and you'll never have a problem getting a promotion. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. 
And let me give you the last one, character. Do I, do I have care, uh, integrity? That is, am I honest or do I lie and steal? Uh, statistics again tell us that 95% of all businesses are hurt by employee theft. Cost $50 billion a year because people take stuff. But the Bible says an honest person will live in safety, but the dishonest person will be caught. The honest person will live in safety. Let me, let me give you an illustration. There was another movie. I guess this is movie day. Uh, it was called Courageous. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a great Christian movie, very inspirational. And there was a young man, he was a Hispanic man working in a company, and uh, uh, the, the boss and general manager brought him in, and they said, we're starting a new, I think it was a new product division or something, and we need a supervisor there. Uh, you'll be making much more money. We want to see if you're interested in the job. And he says, oh, yes, I am, very much, sir, and very respectful. Well, then they said, uh, uh, manager, owner and general manager. And they said, but now there's just one condition. They said, once a month, we're going to bring in a truckload of pallets, and you're going to have to put the number on the paper that we tell you, not what you count. Will you do that? And he just was real quiet. And they said, well, why don't you go home and think about it tonight? And he told his wife that he had a chance to make more money. And she said, oh, honey, everybody does it, or whatever she said. She said, it's, it's more money. We need more money. And they did. But he thought about it, and he was Christian. He prayed about it. And he goes the next day, and he said, Sir, thank you very much for the job offer that you offered me, but I, I, I can't take it. It would be dishonest. It would bother my conscience, and I feel like it would bother my God. And all of a sudden, I want you to think about this. The owner of the company and the general manager, they looked at each other, and then they smiled. And then the owner said to him, I've interviewed a number of people, and you're the only honest man that I've met. You have the job. You will be making the money. Now, you that own businesses, you that hire people, that's what you're looking for. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to help us. I want to pray particularly for my friends that feel like a dead-end job. I know it was a struggle for me the last year I was in the Navy. I was in a place I didn't want to be. But I want to pray that you would give grace to people. I want to pray that all over this building today that you would give grace, you would show kindness, that you would help us change our thinking and help us find a way for, to get you in the midst of our job in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me close with, a, with one last point about a new beginning for our family. And I'm going to need an extra five minutes. Who will give me an extra five minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, that, that's all I need right there. No, it really won't take long. But I think this has the potential as important as work is and as important as treating people is, this is more important. And I want to give you some simple biblical principles that will help. Proverbs 24, 3, it says, It takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes understanding to make it strong. If I were to ask you today of that group of people that sits around the Christmas table or Thanksgiving table, who wants, first of all, who wants a family? Number two, who wants it to be good, strong, and healthy? Every person in this room would say, I do. We were created to be a part of a family, not isolated individuals. Let me give you a couple Bible thoughts here. And the first one is, is this. It's to speak life-giving words. This has to do with the words that come out of our mouth towards the people that we care about. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Your words are either life or they're poison. For example, let's say you've got two sons. 
and the younger son is not quite as, I don't know what, athletic or, or skilled or, or whatever the case, academic is, as his brother, and you're always comparing them. And you tell the little son, you say, I don't know what I did wrong, but, but you're just stupid sometimes, son. Look at your brother. He makes A's and you make C's. Do you not try? What is wrong with you? Or, or maybe he or she is not as... But something. And, and these seeds of negativity bring that person to a lower level. Listen, everybody yearns for affirmation and approval. Everybody in this room today. I have a one-year-old grandson... And uh, I was planting some things in my garden. You know, you buy plants in this little plastic little six-pack. And uh, not the beer six-pack. Okay, this is a garden six-pack, just for clarity. Does beer even come in six-packs anymore? How, 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 how do you know? Well, that's what it was when I was young. <laughs> you weren't the only one that said nope. You just said it a little louder. Okay, well, anyway. I had a six-pack of vegetable plants, and I would pick it up from the gate, and then I would walk it over to where I was planting it. And this little one-year-old, after about the third one, he got it, and he brought it over to Pops and gave it to me. Well, with that child, I, I, I didn't need to take it away and say, Oh, you're going to drop it and break my precious plants. No. What he needed was, Thank you. You're doing such a good job. Tidied you. Oh, Pops loves you, and kiss, 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 and all that. They need affirmation. You say, well, the world out there is pretty tough, preacher. It is tough. I'm si when I was 61 years old, I'm riding around in the truck with my dad around his farm. And for two hours, true story, my stomach was in a knot. And I finally popped the question. I said, Dad, are you proud of me for what I've done with my life? 61 and 1. Everybody needs affirmation. Listen, if you're fortunate enough to have a wife that if her role is the primary, some of the primary responsibilities around the house, don't take it for granted. She doesn't like picking up a dirty sock. Come on now. She doesn't like doing a dirty dish. Come on. And if you just expect she's going to do it, come on. As opposed to being grateful, all women, you ought to be punching right now. <laughs> this will get you mileage, friends. The words you speak. Let's talk about the next one. Dealing with conflict and mistakes. God's way. How many know there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with conflict and mistakes? Because it's, it's going to happen. You can either bring destructive attitudes, you can yell, you can throw things, you can make threats, or withdraw, all you passive aggressives. Or we can follow the biblical path. The biblical path has to do with admitting our mistake, forgiving, and seeking reconciliation. Ephesians 4.26, don't, uh, don't sin by letting your anger control you. That's an imperative command, which implies it's possible. You say, you don't know me, Pastor. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. If we get some more of his power working in us, friends, we'll have the power to change that attitude. Then it says this, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. What that means is resolve your conflicts quickly. Because the longer you let them go, the worse it's going to be. Anyone ever, uh, married couples, ever slept back to back? Two of us are telling the truth here. <laughs> I, do they not know that the book of Revelation says liars are going to end up in, in the lake that burns with fire? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I have. My wife has done some things that, <laughs> that has made me 
turn my back to her, and she's turned her back to me. Now, it's not that often, but as I lay there in bed waiting for her to tell me she's sorry for what she did and would never do it again and not being able to sleep after two hours, and finally the Holy Spirit taps on my shoulder. True story now. You, you think you're the head of the house? Well, roll over and apologize for what you did wrong. Because even if she was wrong in that initial thing, you've been wrong for two hours the way you've treated her. You are not seeking forgiveness. You are not seeking restoration. You are pushing her away from you. Shame on you. Amen. Honey, you better tell them that's not very often. No more than twice, tell them twice, no more than twice a week. Huh? I'm about done. Be <laughs> in, in more ways than one. No, I can't even remember the last time. Can you? February, February 11th, 19... <laughs> no. Be committed to our family. Stay with me now. It's like super glue. Anyone ever stuck their hands together with super glue? W would some of you not raise your hand no matter what I said? <laughs> your family needs some of that. Here's the culture of America. No-fault divorce. You, don't you used to have to provide a reason. No-fault divorce. Even some wedding vows say we'll stay together as long as love will last. But there's something about commitment. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love, and this is what we're talking about. How many know, oh, I love you, I love you when you're sexy, and I love you, I love you when we've got money, and I love you, and I love you. But when all that stops, my love is conditional. But this is biblical love. It's agape love, the highest form of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love, say it with me, never gives up. Now, it didn't say love will always be easy. It says it will never give up. It will never lose faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. I have never threatened my wife with divorce. That's true. She had never threatened me either. It's just, it's not an option to us. Now, let me say this. I understand sometimes marriage gets almost unbearable. I understand sometimes, and I do believe that there are some legitimate reasons to break off a marriage, but they're very few in the Bible, very, very few. I believe if, you have it, if you're at that level, you need some third-party help from a good Christian counselor. I believe that before divorce happens, separation happens, and separation, the biblical phrase is separation unto reconciliation. Now, this is hard but only superglue and a commitment to God can allow this to happen. I saw this demonstrated most marvelously in a family. Their name was Cantu, beloved family. The whole family was here, mom, dad, uh, 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 son. They have any more? How many kids they have? They had several kids, and then Andy had kids. Uh, he was a pastor of South Texas. They all moved up here because another son moved up here because he was in prison, and he was in the new Boston prison. And they left their life and everything. He left his church, and he moved up here to be with his son. Now, can I tell you, friends, that's the power of love that our families need. And if I will make my commitment to you like that, listen, it'll last forever. Now, I want to close with this thought, is the power of prayer for, in your family. Now, I pray every day. I go through all my, my immediate family members, those that are at the Christmas table. I go through each one of them every day on my own. But there's sometimes 
when you need to pray. For example, that little boy that struck out three times and you gave him a little pep talk, but maybe that night you go into his room and he's sitting there, maybe he's crying, he feels like a failure. Maybe you need to even get in bed with him just a second or at least if he's sitting in the chair, put your arms around him and say, son, daddy wants to tell you something. It was hard today. You had a hard day. Daddy has failed in his life before, and I know every time you got up there, you wanted to hit that ball, but you didn't. But you know what? I watched you, and you tried. You were trying your best, and you didn't quit. And I want us to pray right now that God would help give you the strength to go out there next time and hit that ball like you want to. Put your arms around that little boy and pray for him. Put your arms around your little girl. Take her by the hand. And your little girl, if she's a teenager, her biggest problem is there is a zit on her nose. And, and, and it, she thinks it's the size of a quarter, although you had to look to find it. But she thinks everybody in school will point it out. And that little girl needs to, a dad, a mom to take her by the hand and say, Honey, you are beautiful. You are beautiful on the inside. You are beautiful on the outside. Don't you let one little thing that you think is imperfect take it away from that because you're one of the most special people I know in my life. I'm going to pray to God right now. I'm going to pray for you that you don't have to battle for this, but you can feel good. Listen, you pray for your family like that. Guess what's happening? It was like that. This is happening. Why? Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. And prayer invites the power. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. And I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I want to have a closing prayer. And uh, in this prayer time, uh, after the prayer, actually, Pastor Mike is going to come close the service. And uh, uh, we've got those food trucks out there. You can hang out, eat around here with us, take it home, whatever you'd like to do. We're going to even have some baptisms after, after church. So if you're able to stay around, if you need to go, you're certainly welcome. But uh, we've got some people that are seeking God for a new beginning. They're going to get baptized. But uh, I, I want to say this. Probably the most important prayer that could be prayed right now would be a prayer that is prayed for someone to get right with God. You know, I, I had the privilege as a boy. I was raised in a little country Methodist church. Believe the Bible, taught me about Jesus Christ, but I'd never made a personal commitment to Christ. For me, God was like, you know, the man upstairs, and if I'm in trouble, I pray, and then when I'm out of trouble, I quit praying. But on August 15th, 1976, I felt God draw me to Him. And I remember I was in a Navy boot camp, and I prayed, and I committed my life to Jesus Christ, and it changed my life. Some of you that are here today, maybe you need to pray a prayer like that. Maybe you need to start God afresh with God. You need a new beginning. Pastor Michael will tell you more, but I want to pray with you about your, your family. Today, Lord, one of the institutions that's under attack in America is the family. And I want to pray for every marriage. I want to pray for every parent. Every child, every grandparent, aunt, uncle, those that sit around our table at Thanksgiving, it could be a close friend. I want to pray that you help us take steps to build a bond to that group of people that we love so dearly. And God, we got to confess, for some of us, we don't know what to do. We've tried everything and it seems hopeless. But today we stand on Ephesians 3.20. God is able. I have not been able to fix it, but... God is able to fix my family. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. What a great service today.
you know, before we go, I do want to ask one real serious question that we always ask at the end of the service. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? You know, think about that a minute, because if you're not, you need to get that right. You know, I was kind of going through life. I was raised as a Lutheran and went through Sunday school. When I got to college, started living more like the devil. And, and I was in the middle of my dreams, playing pro football in the chapel service, thinking, man, I ought to be totally happy now. And in that chapel service, a guy asked a question, that very question, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And I thought, man, I don't know. Maybe I can talk my way in. Maybe do more good than bad. I'm really trying to figure it out. And always having that thought, I should be happy and fulfilled. And about that time, he draws a circle on his chest. He said, you know, that's a God hole. You can try putting whatever you want in there, sports and girls and cars. It'll never satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy is your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that really got my attention. Then he told me God loved me and had a plan for me. But because of my sin, I'm separated from God. And that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I do all that through Sunday school. But the last thing he said is you have to individually ask Christ into your life. And that's when he challenged me to raise my hand and repeat a prayer with him to give God permission to come into my life. Because God's not going to force his way into your life. But I'm telling you, he's knocking the door of some hearts today. Some of you are in this house and you kind of think, you know, how would I end up here? I mean, somebody asked you, somebody brought you, but God has you here for a divine appointment because he loves you so much. He has a plan for your life, and you're not going to find peace anywhere else. You won't find it at the bottom of a bottle or the end of a joint or any other way. It's only by the Prince of Peace, and that's Jesus Christ. When you invite him in, he'll change you from the inside out. He really will. So I'm going to ask one time. It's kind of a bold thing. If you're not right with God, if you've gotten off track, or you've never asked Christ into your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You're not voting for me or joining the church, what you're doing is pointing to God and say, God, I need you in my life. And if that's you, hold your hand up right now. We'll say a prayer with you. You want to get things right with God. You want to get God in your life. I see your hands. Anybody else? Man, we'll just wait a moment. I see your hand. God bless you. Amen. Come on, church. This is what it's all about. How many of you raised your hand before and you have a relationship with God? Okay, you got some company here. One last time. If you need to get right with God, just hold your hand up long enough for God to see it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, here's how we're going to close. Our altar team is going to come up here and pray with you for anything you need prayer with. But if you raised your hand, I really want you to make your way to that cross. we got somebody who's going to say a special prayer with you, give you some information, be able to help you follow God. And But first, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate with some people that have made this decision. And what they're doing is they're following Jesus, where he died, buried, and resurrected. When they go into that water, their old life is gone. They're coming up brand new, and there's a new beginning. So, Pastor Travis, let's go and do the baptisms right now. Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus? God is good. We have several people that have made decisions, as Pastor uh, Mike said, but we are going to baptize. And so, uh, won't you state your name and why you're being baptized today? baptized because I need Jesus in my life. He is my Savior, and He is my Bible. Amen. Buddy, we're proud of you. Awesome. And let's extend a hand towards Gage. Lord, we thank you for Gage. We thank you that you love him, that you care about him. Lord, that you have a big plan for his life. And Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, be baptized, be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Hey, buddy, take a step down, will you? Is that your name and why you're being baptized? My name is Jack, and I am being baptized because I've already accepted Jesus into my life, and I have not been baptized yet. Amen. This is awesome. And listen, today is Jack's birthday as well. So spiritual birth, physical birth, we're proud of you, buddy. 
Lord, we thank you for Jack. We thank you that you love him. God, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Be filled. Amen. We're proud of you. Please say your name and why you're being baptized. My name is Kelsey, and Jesus has completely changed my heart. And I'm trying not to get emotional. I used to be a person that never wanted to hear anything related to God, to someone that wants to be a fully committed follower. Hey, that's the power of Jesus, to change a life. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you for your daughter. We thank you that you love her. And Lord, right now, we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. Amen. We're proud of you. What's your name and why are you being baptized today? Cassandra Gordner, and I'm to say yes to Jesus. Amen. We're proud of you. That's great. Good save, Kevin. Good job. Well, Lord, we thank you for your just child, your, your daughter. Lord, we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Hey. Please state your name and why you're being baptized. Rachel and my pastor of Nile said this morning, it's time. It's time. Amen. We're super proud of you. Well, Lord, we thank you for Rachel. Lord, we thank you for the calling that you have on her life. Lord, right now we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. 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 We have two more. Awesome. Please say your name and why you're being baptized. Well, I'm just, my name is Dylan, and I'm just trying to get out of bad habits. Amen. Well, listen, Jesus loves you, cares for you, and he'll help you. Listen, if you ever want to be baptized, call our church office. We'll arrange it. And we'll make sure the water is warm. Well, Lord, we thank you for Dylan. We thank you that you love him. Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Be filled. Amen. Amen. My name is Michelle Dumas, and this is a rededication to the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Lord, we thank you for Michelle. We thank you that you love her. Lord, right now we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Be filled. Amen. 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 Man, what a, what a great day. Amen. Hey, just kidding. We got one we got more. One more. Hey, 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 hey. There we go. Please state your name and why you're being baptized. My name's Terry Dumas. I rededicated my life and this is for new beginnings. Amen, man. We're proud of you. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you for this man that's being obedient to be baptized. And Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Be filled. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, if you're a guest and filled out that card, stop by the Connect Room. They got a free gift for you. But we got food vendors out there. There's free cupcakes. 
And so, but the most important thing, don't leave here with a need that you don't want to agree somebody with. Prayer team, come up right now. We've already had some people come to the cross. If you need to get right with God, don't leave here. Tell one of our prayer team that you want to, and they'll pray with you. Amen. How about giving one more big round of applause to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God bless. Hey, invite people to Easter. On the way out those doors, grab the little invites. Easter's going to be a day that's going to be very sensitive to the things of God. You're thinking about a church. So grab those invites. Invite, invite, invite. God bless.